right? Well, our, our scripture reading for today is Genesis 22, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time in a big chunk of this, so I want you to have it open in front of you. Um, and as you're looking that up, I want to remind you that this is the second week of a new series that we started last week. We're calling it Hitting a Wall. Uh, everybody hits walls in their lives and in their faith, and this last year has been one giant wall for everybody, but a wall can be anything. And so last week we talked about that. We talked about how, how we can come up against walls in our life. Um, it, maybe it's a death of a loved one. It could be a life-altering event. It could be a diagnosis. It could be a divorce. It could be a job loss. It could be a global pandemic. Be a season of depression. It could be a drought in your faith where you don't sense God's presence in your life. What we learned is that last week, that, that no matter what the wall is, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow in your relationship with God from the infancy stages toward greater depth and maturity, God wants to use these wall experiences. Even though he doesn't always cause these walls to happen, he wants to use them to strengthen our faith. He wants to use them for us to be able to be drawn through the wall instead of doing what's more natural, which is to avoid the wall, try to get under the wall or over the wall, muscle through the wall. What ends up happening if we do any of those things is we bounce off of the wall and we end up coming back to it again and again and again. And so that leads us to our scripture reading. Again, we're going to be in Genesis 22. We're going to begin at verse 1. And I want to give you just a little bit of context in case you've never heard of these people or this story before. It's one of the most heart-wrenching walls, I think, throughout the entire Bible. It's about a father who's called by God to sacrifice his son. And I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to read it to you slowly, because I want you just to think and take in the details. But again, in case you don't know the background, it's about a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. They were promised by God that they would have a son who would be blessed to bless the world, a son whose descendants would be so numerous that the only way God could possibly even begin to describe that to Abraham was one night taking him out and telling him to look up at the sky and try to count the stars. Because that's how many descendants Abraham would have through this son. There was a problem, though. Abraham and his wife were already very old, beyond childbearing age. And so naturally, just like you and I, if we experienced this promise, they doubted God. And nobody would blame them, especially when you learn that it took 25 years between when God promised it and when it actually happened. And those years of waiting were not easy. And just like us, they were not always patient. They tried to plow through the walls, so to speak, a few times. Like, for example, Abraham's wife arranged an affair between her husband and her maidservant. They thought that that would produce a son, and maybe that's the way in which God's promise would be fulfilled. A son was born, but that was not what God meant. And even though that was a, a normal way in the culture to, to be able to make good on a promise, like bringing a son into the world... They were just as human as we were. And it caused destruction and pain and jealousy. And eventually that son and his mother would be banished and kicked out into the desert. God was with them, but this was not the plan God had. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of the waiting, in the middle of the pain and the heartache, came the son that God promised all along. His name was Isaac. 25 years after God promised that it would happen. He was the firstborn son to Abraham and Sarah. And at the time, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90. 
And so if you know part of the story, God told Sarah at one point she would have a son, and she laughed at him. And if you know, you know why. <laughs> she was 90 when she had her child. But you can also imagine how after waiting nearly three decades for this promise to be fulfilled, the yearning of a child to come to fruition, to care for and to love and to take on the family name, you can imagine how that felt. You can imagine the joy that was in their hearts. Isaac was the son of a century, literally. And at this point in the story that we're about to read in our scripture reading, he's a young man. He's not yet a man, but he's also not a boy. And that's where we begin in Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. So just, just listen to these words and try to immerse yourself in the story of God. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go with the boy over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the wood and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his own son. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, God said. The angel said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said that on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wanted to just read it to you. Because I wanted you to let the story sink in for just a minute. What words come to mind when you think of this story? How would you describe it? Close call? Tragic? 
callous, merciless even, impossible to comprehend. I think it feels deeply wrong if you ask me. Do you agree? I mean, on both sides of it, both what God asks of Abraham and also Abraham's response by actually doing it. Because, because let's just be really honest for a minute. If God told me after church today, Tom, you got to take your oldest son Jacob out to the woods and sacrifice him, I already know the answer. No. <laughs> like, I don't even need to, to think about it. That would be an easy no. There's nothing inside of me that would want to go through with that, even though I know that we're supposed to listen to God and do everything he says. And I'll preach a great sermon to you about that and tell you all day long that no matter what God says, he knows what's best. Go do it, and I'll tell you that it doesn't matter how good the sermon would be, it wouldn't be enough. <laughs> wouldn't be enough to make any fiber in my being want to do what God called Abraham to do on that day. It feels impossible. And sometimes that makes us think, especially with the story like this, that it's not relatable to us. But I actually think that right there begins to make it relatable to us because can't we say the same thing about the walls that we come up against in our life as well? I mean, does any wall ever really make sense at the time that we're facing it? Can't we say the same thing? Does, does cancer ever make sense when you're diagnosed with it? When you're full of anger and you storm off and a relationship is broken between you and somebody else and you can't comprehend how they could be possibly thinking the way that they're thinking, does it ever really make sense? When somebody dies, does it ever make sense? Even if we say at their funeral, they lived a long and fulfilling life. I can tell you as somebody who sits with families every single, like almost every month we have one or two people who pass away in this community that we walk with and it never, ever, ever makes sense. And so I think we can relate to this story more than we might think on the surface. And, and there's actually three things. There's probably a lot more, but there's three that I want to point out that, that we learn about coming up against an impossible wall from the story of God and Abraham. The first one is this. God uses walls in our life to test us. God uses walls in our life to test us. Now, I'm just pulling this from the scripture. It says that God tested Abraham. And, and we have to understand what a test is and what a test isn't. A test in our faith is, is God using an experience to make us stronger. And a test is not to be confused with a temptation. Jesus' own brother James described it this way in James 1.13. He said, when tempted, nobody should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Here's the difference. Tests draw us closer to God. God doesn't always create the circumstances of the walls, but he will use them to strengthen us. Because tests do that. Temptations draw us away from God. And so it's a distinction that we need to remember because we see it over and over again through Scripture and in our own lives. Like, for example, if we fast forward, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac would become so numerous that they would outnumber the stars in the sky, right? Like, we know that part of the promise. And generations later, the people of this family line would become a nation. And that nation would be known as the nation of Israel. And they would become slaves for generations under the people in Egypt. And God would save them. 
He would save them through the leadership of Moses and lead them into this wandering in the wilderness where they had their own experience of a wall, of a test. And in Deuteronomy 8.2, we read this. Remember how the Lord your God led you away, led you away in the wilderness for these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart and whether or not you would keep his command. At this point in the story, the people of God were isolated in the wilderness for 40 years. That would feel like a long time, wouldn't it? It was a 40-year wall. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that these people were slaves for hundreds of years before that. And so God took 40 years to bring them out of it and then to prepare them for generations to come to test them so that their faith would be strengthened so that they would rebuild a new nation in this promised land that he was leading them to, a land and a people that would bring the salvation of the world eventually through Jesus. Because see, the wall rescued them, even though it didn't feel that way at the time. The wall rescued them from the past as God brought them into the wilderness. The wall rescued them from the past while at the same time it prepared them for the future. And I point that out because the same could be said for you and me. The same thing could be said for you and me, which leads us to the second thing that we learn about walls from Abraham, and that is that God uses walls to prepare us. God uses walls to prepare us. Now, Abraham might sound crazy when you read this story for agreeing to do what God called him to do. But the reason that he does this is is that this wall is not an isolated incident in Abraham's life. And the truth is, neither are the walls in yours. Whatever wall that you're faced up against right now, if it's a personal wall, if it's a wall in your family, if it's a wall as a people, as a country, you need to see that God has been using every single moment in your life leading up to that moment to prepare you to get through it. So I think a simple exercise to to help us be encouraged by the presence of God in our lives when we feel anxious about the walls that we're up against is just to stop and say a simple prayer and say, God, would you give give me some insight into the ways in which you've prepared me for the moment that I'm facing right now? It doesn't mean that God is gonna show you an easy way out, but it helps you see that God knows what we're up against. And he's been using circumstances in our lives, even before we could understand them, to help us face what we didn't even know we were going to have to face. That's what happened in the story of Abraham and Isaac. He had been preparing them for this moment since the day Isaac was promised to Abraham and Sarah, since even well before that. If you don't know the story, Hebrews 11 gives a really great little overview of the life of Abraham and how many times Abraham had to step out in faith before this moment even took place. God called Abraham to live in the wilderness. God called Abraham to leave his people, to live in a tent, in a land where God eventually would promise to build a great city. And it was after all of those experiences and so many more, Hebrews eleven seventeen, that by faith, Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It was after all of that that he did that. When God was testing him, Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. 
Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God would be able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. See, it seems like a crazy, crazy story. But what I see in Hebrews 11 here is that Abraham is unquestionably human. See, the only reason that he, he led his son up the mountain to begin with was that he believed in God's promise to protect his son. When you think about it, then what other reason would a father have to even consider this unless he thought that his son would be protected? He reasoned, it says, that if Isaac died, God would bring him back. The word reason suggests that this was a logical conclusion for Abraham to come to. Now, if you or I were in Abraham's shoes, would we come to the same conclusion? No, but you're not Abraham. God didn't have you have a child at 90 years old. You haven't had all the experiences that led up to him. You haven't been through everything that Abraham has been through. God promised him a son and then delivered that son when he was 100 years old. If you had a son at 100 years old, don't you think from that moment forward you'd think God could do just about anything now? Right? Like everything would be possible in your mind. Abraham believed this. And we see that he believed this in so many different places. Like there's, there's several signs. Look at this. Genesis 22, 5. He said to his servants, this is before they went up to make the sacrifice. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back. Now that would be an odd statement to make unless Abraham believed that they actually would. <laughs> Unless Abraham believed that they actually would, that God would spare his son. And at the same time, he didn't know how, but he did know that God would provide. And he said the same thing when Isaac asked him the question a little later. Verse 7, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but dad, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. Abraham knew that God was with them, but don't get confused. This is still a wall. It's still a wall. Just like it's still a wall, right? When I sit with, with people who are up against the wall and I say, God is with you, that doesn't necessarily make it easier, does it? You might know that, but Abraham has no idea how God is going to get them through this. He has no clue how his son will be spared. But because of what he's already experienced up until this point in life, he does believe that God will save him. And you know, sometimes that's about all we can cling to, isn't it? Sometimes it takes all of our faith to look up at the walls in our lives and some of them are just so tall and so complicated and so broken that it takes every ounce of our faith just to believe that God is capable of carrying us through, never mind beginning to fathom how God is going to do it. That's where Abraham is at. And so he takes his son up to this mountain, and he's like a parent holding their child before they go into a surgery that they don't know how he's going to come out of. Abraham steps into this place, where everything that he values most in life apart from God is on the line and he has no control over what happens next. I, I shared with the last service, I mean, the closest thing I can think of is when my son was 17 hours old 
my son Evan, and he needed to go in for emergency surgery. And I was there with him, and I held his little finger, and I walked by those double doors that say, you're not allowed to walk by those double doors. I would have held the surgeon's hand if I could. But they didn't let me do that. And I didn't know how it was going to end. And so I had to let him go. I had to hand him into this unknown situation, praying that the God that I knew, that the God that was faithful to me and faithful to my son would be faithful to carry him through it. And frankly, guys, that's nothing compared to the story we're reading right now. Abraham places his son on an altar and takes the knife in his own hand. And that's why the author of Hebrews says that in a sense, Abraham lost his son that day because that's how it felt. That's how it felt. You, you, don't, you don't go through all of this and just pretend like nothing happened, do you? You don't make this journey to the mountain with wood and fire and a knife and put your son on the altar and tie him down and raise the knife and then walk away and say, hey, let's get a soda. You don't do that. You don't act like nothing happened. This was not a close call. It was not like a car that pulls up to heavy traffic and almost gets into an accident. This is like being in a car that gets hit head on and your body is thrown 30 feet away from the wreckage and you get up and you realize after the shock wears off that by some miracle that you can't even explain, you don't even have scratch. And I think to myself, I wonder if that's the way it's going to feel like when we get to heaven. So many walls in our life, so many difficulties, and we cross over that threshold of death, and Jesus swoops us up, and, and we have life more abundantly than we've ever experienced. And in that first moment, we just look down and go, wow, how can I not even have a scratch? That's what happened here. The son was spared. The son was spared, and the angel stops Abraham, and then God offers a sacrifice of a ram instead. But see, you know the rest of the story. The ram isn't the sacrifice, is it? Generations later, there would be another son that would be placed on the altar, the altar of the cross, and it would be God who would give his son the son that he would not expect Abraham to give. He would give his own son, Jesus. And the reason why is the third thing that we learn up against the wall from Abraham, that God uses walls to save us. God uses walls to save us. And I, I was listening to a sermon on this same text by Pastor Tim Keller, and he said this, and it just spoke to me. I want to share it to you with you. It's about the same story. He said, so the Abraham and Isaac story, if it tells you nothing else, says that sometimes the God who is trying to save you feels like he's trying to kill you. It's really true, isn't it? God spared the son of Abraham, but it wasn't because the son would not die, and in a sense he did. My goodness, they were forever changed by that experience. But the real reason was that this was just the foreshadowing of what God would eventually do through the descendants of Abraham and Isaac, and he would provide his own son through this same line of people. The Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world would not be a lamb or a ram. It would be Jesus himself who would not just die, but three days later would rise again. 
And the reason why is so that for all of us, for every single wall that we face between now and when God's kingdom comes, in its fullness as Jesus returns, that we can be certain that no matter what the wall might be, God will use it to strengthen our faith, even if it feels like a test. He will use it to prepare us as he has prepared us for that moment in all the moments that have led up to it. And ultimately in Jesus, he will save us. And the Apostle Paul makes the case in Romans 8 the same way. He says in verse 28, we know this. We know that in all things, God works for the good. Not all things are good, but all things God uses for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, have been tested, have been strengthened. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. He knew, and so he also prepared to be conformed into the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined he also called and those he called he also justified and those he justified he also saved. Glorified. Friends, he's preparing you. He's preparing you for glory. He's preparing you for the walls in the future. And he has prepared you for whatever it is you're facing right now. Verse 31. What then shall we say? If that's true, then what then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? He will, he can, and he already has. And so let's pray in that confident truth now. Lord Jesus, we thank and praise you. We even, dare we say, thank and praise you for every wall that we have ever faced and every wall that we will face, knowing that it is at that place in our lives that you change us the most. The moments when we look at our circumstances and we cannot comprehend them at all. We cannot understand the circumstances that you have allowed us to be placed within, let alone how you're going to possibly carry us through them. And Jesus, I know that that there are those who who are worshiping together with us this morning that are up against a wall like that right now as we speak. And so God, I would pray that you would give all of us the assurance that the Apostle Paul had that you have predestined us for this moment, that you have justified us by your blood 2,000 years ago, that you have come so that the worst thing that could happen to us is taken away, that there will be a day when your kingdom in its fullness will come and be on earth as it is in heaven. And that until that day comes, we can pray it to be true right now because your spirit is with us, giving us the faith of Abraham to show us that you will carry us through the walls no matter what those walls might be. God, would you be with us as we face walls? God, would you be with those who are facing the wall of of physical healing? 
God, would you be with those of us who are facing the wall of not knowing how and when and where and, and why and, and through what means you're going to prepare for us in the future. God, I recognize this week with, with all the unrest that we're facing as a country, it feels like a wall. Help us to see that we've been here before. Help us to see that you have prepared us in every moment of our existence for the moment that we're facing right now. That your good gifts give us everything we need. Not just in our experiences, but God in the knowledge and the assurance that you are with us always. Just as you said you would be until the very end of the age.